0: Hello, and welcome to Mixed DNA Podcast, the podcast with two mixed-race hosts talking about any and everything. Each week, we pick a topic, do some research, and throw in our own thoughts and opinions and experiences where applicable,
1: and compile everything together to share with all of you. I'm Vanessa. And I'm Melissa. Today's episode, episode number 99, is Mixed DNA and Skin Color. As comfortable as many of us are in our various tones of melanin, there are many out there who don't appreciate their brown or tan or black skin, or even their white skin, and unlike the color of your hair or your eyes, there isn't much that you can do to change your skin color. Skin is the thin layer of tissue forming the natural outer covering of the body of a person or an animal. We were each born with a hue to our skin, some of us darker, some of us lighter. There are a million different adjectives we can use to describe someone's skin. We've all heard hundreds, if not thousands of them, some positive and some downright negative and derogatory. For today's episode, we're going to talk about skin and we'll also share some stories we found online about people who aren't comfortable with their skin color and share our thoughts on what we think. And of course, you can't talk about skin color without touching on racism, so there'll be some of that in this episode too.
0: For starters, human skin color ranges from the darkest brown to the lightest hues. Differences in skin color among individuals is caused by variation in pigmentation, which is the result of genetics, exposure to the sun, disorders, or all of these. Differences across populations evolve through natural selection or sexual selection because of social norms and differences in environment, as well as regulations of the biochemical effects of ultraviolet radiation penetrating the skin. The actual skin color of different humans is affected by many substances, although the single most important substance is the pigment melanin. Melanin is produced with the skin in the cells called melanocytes, and it is in the main determination of the skin color of darker skinned humans. The skin color of people with light skin is determined mainly by the bluish-white connective tissue under the dermis and by the hemoglobin circulating in the veins of the dermis. The red color underlying the skin becomes more visible, especially in the face, when, as a consequence of physical exercise or sexual arousal, or the stimulation of the nervous system, like when you're angry or embarrassed. Color is not entirely uniform across an individual's skin either. For example, the skin of the palm and the sole is lighter than most other skin, and this especially is noticeable in darker-skinned people.
1: The Columbia Daily Tribune very smartly puts it that every person in the human race is from the same species, no matter what features they show on the outside or the inside. To science, there really is no such thing as Native Americans, Eskimos, African American, or Caucasian. All of these terms were made up by humans and have no scientific basis. However, it is obvious that we don't all look alike. And it's even more obvious that humans have evolved unique physical characteristics based on where their ancestors lived. While humans are humans no matter where their ancestors live, science can now explain why humans in certain parts of the world look differently on the outside than other humans from different parts of the world. It turns out that our human race has experienced a wild and fascinating ride when it comes to skin color. Every bit of the human skin color story is connected to geography, as it depends on where the humans were on Earth. Also important to remember, We're talking about a period of time where any human traveling was done by foot and typically in large groups. So people did not randomly relocate to new places on earth as often as they do now.
0: It is believed that at the beginning of the human race, we had pale skin, not necessarily white, but very pale. And on top of that skin was a thick layer of hair. Humans had not yet created or invented clothing, so the hair protected them from the weather and kept people warmer. This phenomenon is pretty much exactly how animals exist today, a body covered in hair on top of pale skin. Over time, humans started to either prefer or not need all the hair covering on their bodies, and they started becoming less hairy. This, of course, exposed more and more skin, and because it is believed that the earliest humans lived in close proximity to the equator, they were experiencing damage to their DNA from ultraviolet light. Since it is the body's natural reaction to protect, Human's DNA mutated, which created more melanin to block out harmful UV radiation, acting as a shield from the sun's rays. Originally, humans had melanin, which is little in pigmentation. melanin allows quite a bit of UV light to penetrate all the way to the cell's genetic material, and today, we know that that causes cancer. However, this does not explain why humans started to develop darker skin.
1: It turns out, though, that a seemingly boring chemical called folate holds the secret to skin color evolution in humans, as folate is essential in developing babies. Science over time also found that ultraviolet light broke down folate and the mystery was solved when scientists realized that UV light in light-skinned humans was destroying folate and developing babies were not surviving or were experiencing severe birth defects. In these cases, the DNA for the skin was not being passed down. At some point, a new type of melanin evolved, and it was called unmelanin. This new melanin was far darker and denser and blocked out far more UV light from the nucleus of the cells. Humans with melanin had darker skin, and their babies were developing better than those whose parents had lighter skin. Natural selection favored the darker skin, and over time, the human population had dark skin. As we can assess from what we know of civilization and people moving around, Before people's skin got darker from being so close to the equator, people moved northward and southward, and hence the lovely variations we are accustomed to seeing today.
0: In a 2020 article from CBC, Jermaine Wilson shares his story titled, I have no choice but to wear this skin, and some people hate me for it. Wilson told CBC that he always tried to be a good person, a good father, a good husband, a good employee. He would smile at strangers and hold doors for people. He preferred not to use curse words and, for the most part, he was a respectable driver. Those were all things he could control. One of the few things he couldn't control is the color of his skin. He said that he did so many things right and still there was so much hate for people who looked like him. He said that it didn't matter to some that he had family, talents and interests that made him an interesting and unique individual. It was simply because he is black. Wilson continued saying that he spent so much of his life hating that he was black because he could see how much of society is set up to be prejudiced against people like him.
1: Wilson also shared two instances of racism that made him feel uncomfortable in his own skin. When he was eight years old, he was called the N-word for the first time. At the time, he hadn't known too much about the word and just laughed it off. When he looks back at that moment now, he realizes he didn't have a roadmap for how to react to that moment. Nearly 20 years later, upon leaving a bar in Orangeville, he forgot his jacket inside and went back to get it alone. A group of seven white guys confronted him and discussed loudly how they were having such a good time until, quote, these monkey men showed up, end quote. He said this was not the first nor the last time he would hear such an insult. Now, many years later, and married to Chantal, who is white, the two have a mixed-race daughter named Scarlett. And Scarlett, who was a year and a half at the time of the interview, has also been a victim of racism. One day, while Chantelle was out walking with Scarlett, a dog began to bark at them. And the owner of the dog told her that the dog is racist and probably only barking at the black baby.
0: So a dog can't be racist. You made the dog racist. So therefore, it is you who are racist.
1: Don't you think you could train your dog to be not necessarily racist in how a person would be racist, but to dislike certain kinds of people but then it was still taught to hate no but do you think i i have never had like that kind of pet but don't you think like say a dog was mistreated poorly by darker skinned people and then it was like loved by lighter skinned people but why
0: can't you correct
1: is that possible like i don't know enough about dogs
0: if that's all that happened but that would be like a human If that was all you encountered was terrible black people and then you go and it's amazing white people or vice versa, then you are going to have a complex, whether you know the reason or not.
1: So yes, so in this instance, yes, we will just assume that the man, the man taught his dog to be racist.
0: In an opinion piece we found on Medium written by Hannah Jafar in 2017, she wrote that people telling her she was pretty made her hate her skin. Hannah would remember her mother telling people, she's the fairest of my children, she gets my complexion, when people tried to figure out which parent I more resembled. Her friends and family would make remarks and call her the lighter one, and her mother would call her gori, which in Urdu translates to fair one. Because of these very small things, she said that she understood growing up that it was a good thing to be fair, that it was a thing of beauty, and that she should consider herself lucky to have less melanin than her siblings. It was ingrained in her that South Asians perceived beauty, even their own ethnicity, to be fair or light-skinned. She also remembers that her father would get upset when someone pointed out that her twin brother's skin was darker, as if it was a silent defect in his DNA that they needed to tiptoe around. For a while, she really believed that being lighter skinned made her prettier, and this in turn made her more confident.
1: At her very multi-ethnic school, there were many kids of all different shades, and some even lighter than her, and this is when things got confusing. In the summer, she would get darker, and she would become self-conscious about this, and when she had to shake someone's hand who was lighter than her, she would hesitate, as if her darker hand would make their lighter skin dirty. At the age of 14, she would scrub at the brownness of her hands, wishing that the brown would wash off. Brown, after all, was the color of dirt, and she remembers that the more and more lighter-skinned people that she would see around her, she would feel more and more dirty, But she didn't hate that she was brown. She just hated that she was a darker brown than others. And when she was with people who were darker brown than she was, she felt better. Ironically, under the guise of well-meaning praise, people around her had bred a nuanced and subtle insecurity and hyper-awareness of her skin color, based in the idea that comparative lightness constituted beauty or superiority. Her own family and community had enabled a colorist and shadist mentality among themselves, which caused her constant and confusing shift in self-perception.
0: That is very sad. For the next story, we head over to the UK, where we read about a young woman named Poppy Noor, who told The Guardian that a moment that changed her was when she learned that people disliked her for her skin color. Poppy said that as a child, she always wanted people to really like her. She would use speech like her peers, say she liked the same bands they did, and even copy what they were eating for lunch. Her actions went so far, she said, that she started pretending she was white, which she is because her mom is genetically half white herself. The moment that changed everything for her was when she was seven years old. She recalls meeting up with a friend from her childhood and her friend asked her what it was like to be brown. And she told her friend that she didn't have a choice in being brown, but if she did,
1: she wouldn't choose it. Poppy remembers kids singing Apple at her school in her East London neighborhood where A-P-P-L-E to these kids stood for all Packies, please leave England. She would laugh along with them and tell them that it was cool, that they had made a poem where the word was spelled out by the first letter of the other words. They stopped singing it when they realized it didn't bother her. Today, this song makes her cringe. As a child, she would hide away from the sun because she didn't want her skin to be darker than it already was. She said she would talk to boys on the internet and send them only black and white pictures of herself so she would look more pale. She said she would scrub at the skin with a Brillo pad to make it less dark, especially in the jointed areas like the knees and elbows. She thinks back to her prepubescent years when kids started watching porn and looking at dirty magazines, and how her peers would laugh at the women whose nipples weren't pink, but different shades of dark brown.
0: When she thinks back to various incidents of racism she experienced as a child, she knows that the people that would make the comments thought of those moments as just them sharing their opinion, But for the people on the receiving end, it's lifetime's worth of reminders that the color of your skin is unpalatable. She knows that the moment she changed was when she realized that ignoring racism no longer made her strong, that it made her vulnerable to its effects, and that ignoring racism as a child and as a teen made her hate herself. And she was finally at ease when she was confident enough to not ignore racism any longer.
1: In another story we found online on Embrace Race, This one not so much about racism, but more about teaching our children, or any children that race is a construct, but that it can be harmful even though it's not real. The whole concept of race and how to explain it to kids can be confusing. In his story, Abraham was walking with his five-year-old mixed-race daughter, and she said, Daddy, I wish that we lived in a place where people couldn't change their skin color. Abraham says that he's always been intentional about race with his daughter, but that he never had a grand strategy beyond teaching her that race and skin color are only tangentially related. Black people don't have skin that is the color black. White people don't have skin that is the color white. Many black people have lighter skin than some, white people, and so on. So when we think about racial categories, I'll often say, isn't it silly that we use those words to describe people? They're just made up.
0: Abraham also told Embrace Race that he's also been careful to explain that even though race is made up, it gets people hurt, traumatized, and even killed. I've told her that the people we call black are more likely to be treated unfairly by police just because of the way that they look. But as he listened to his young daughter talk about her made-up world where people couldn't change their skin color, he realized she was talking about race, but he was confused about her 5-year-old meaning. He told her that people can't change the color of their skin, and she told her father that they can with the sun and that she didn't want her cinnamon skin to get darker or she would have to go to jail and she didn't want to go there. Abraham quickly realized that this was Estella's way of processing statements that she had heard grown-ups say about black people, often being treated unfairly by the police.
1: The next thing Estella said to her dad really shook him. She said that she wished there weren't any black people and he calmly asked her why and she said that if there weren't any black people, nobody would go to jail. Abraham says that witnessing his five-year-old trying to work this out, trying to create a dream work that isn't unfair, and to hear her have to arrive at such a statement felt devastating. Without having an ounce of over-racist malice, his little girl had arrived at a conclusion eerily reminiscent of what so much of America seems to believe, that the problem of anti-black racism can be found within blackness which then logically extends to a terrifyingly neat and simple solution, get rid of black people, get rid of racism. He told her carefully that what he wished for is that white people wouldn't be so scared of black people, and she agreed with her father. It's heartwarming that young children can flip back and forth with such ease about such complicated topics.
0: Guest blogger Ruthie Vinsil, in a piece she wrote for raising children, says she was taught many things as a child but was never taught as a white child and a beneficiary of white privilege about the undertow of racism and its power to sneak up on you. And because of that, her parenting has sought to ensure that my children pay attention to the undertow of racism and to prepare them so that they know what to do when they confront it. Like the ocean's undertow, racism is a strong force and it is easy to let it carry you. She says that if she doesn't teach them to be vigilant anti-racists, they will not be able to see racism until it is too late to spot it.
1: When Ruthie talks to her six-year-old daughter about racism, she shows a sense of self-righteousness, saying that she'll never be racist and that she can't believe people would be that way. But Ruthie wants her children to know where they come from and to know that they have had racist family members and that these family members are proud of their racism and that they also have family who don't realize that they are racist. She believes it's important for her white kids to know that racism is in their blood. After the 2017 racism events in Charlottesville, with the white nationalist rally and the taking down of the Confederate statue, she explained to her children that there were people marching who didn't like brown and black-skinned people, and that there were also people marching who were standing up for love and against racism.
0: Ruthie recalls her daughter telling her that she wished she were black. When she asked her why she wished that, she said because all of the racists were white and I'm white and she was worried that she might accidentally turn into a racist. Her statement of wishing she were black is stating her dismay with the white culture. She recognizes that people who look like her are propelling hate and she can't stand it. Ruthie tells her children that they were born with white privilege and with a brain to think and a heart to love and a fight for what's right. Their family believes that anti-racism is an essential to teach children as it is to teach them not to lie. Their family tells RaceConscious.org that as white parents, if they gloss over racism and that if they perpetuate racism in their culture, there will be no progress. Children are the panacea to end the horrific reality of white supremacy in the world and especially in the United States. We must empower our children to be the change our country needs.
1: I don't dwell on this often, but I know there's going to come a day where, like, the first time I have to deal with racism with, with my four-year-old. Or maybe he won't be four at the time. Hopefully he won't be four at the time. I'm always like, how am I going to approach it? I mean, it depends on, is it him being racist or is he being raced on? So, I'm like, I don't know. There's so, many, there's so many facets. Do I have to deal with that as well, you think? Of course you're going to have to deal with it. Can Preston be racist on he could be racist on because he has a brown mom. But he could potentially just, there could be people making fun of brown people and like, even though he might be white passing, he knows that he's brown. But there could be people making fun of brownness or Jamaicanness. There are many reasons people have racist attitudes. They take on the views of people around them. Many young people's attitudes are shaped when they are young. And as you get older, if your attitudes aren't corrected, they can stick with you for a lifetime or people only like to hang out with people who are like themselves. It's not necessarily a bad thing to want to spend time with people that have the same interests, background, culture, and language as you. It helps to foster a sense of belonging. But the downside to this is that it can set up differences between other groups over time and lead us to think that our group is better than others.
0: Many of us are quick to judge and we put labels on people. Like, those people dress a certain way, so they must like this specific kind of music. I mean, that's kind of true sometimes. Or they go to private school, so they must have a lot of money, which is also kind of true. There are so many stereotypes about people from different racial backgrounds, lazy, brainy, bad drivers, etc. But the best way to beat these stereotypes is to not not judge a whole group at once, but to get to know people from that group, and you'll probably have more in common than you expect. People also like to blame others for their problems, especially when they feel angry or frustrated. People who look or act differently are sometimes an easy target. And you'll hear comments like, those people are taking all the jobs. Those people are abusing the government. Usually these statements are false. There is never a reason for racism. It's just wrong. And in many places, or most places, it's actually against the law.
1: Very Well Mind says that the psychological study of racism can be summed up in one word, evolving. How society thinks about race and racism has changed. And with it, the psychological discourse has changed as well. When George Floyd was killed in police custody on May 25, 2020, a bright spotlight was redirected to an uncomfortable reality that most BIPOC Americans already knew. Racism is still alive and well in America. With the added spotlight came a renewed interest in understanding racism, and this renewed interest sparked and lit fires in society that are still burning bright today. Racism is directed at a particular racial group and is based on systems of power and oppression. Racism is often seen as being a problem with individual racial prejudice, but it is important to recognize that it is much more multifaceted and systemic. People commonly think of racism in terms of overt individual actions and ideologies, the social physiological understanding, but it also exists within systems, organizations, and cultures, the cultural psychological understanding. In this way, racism is embedded in the reality of everyday life.
0: Since racism is a part of daily life, cultural patterns, and historical narratives in the U.S., it is often difficult for people to see how familiar and normalized ideas promote racialized views and behaviors. Racism isn't just about individuals demonstrating racial prejudice or engaging in direct acts of racial discrimination. It is often less immediately obvious and much more insidious affecting institutions like the justice system, in which black defendants regularly face harsher sentences than white defendants for the same crimes, for example. While most blatant individual demonstrations of racism are no longer tolerated or viewed as acceptable in mainstream contemporary American society, our society's understanding of what racist continues to evolve. In reality, our institutions are not so far removed from the years of colonialism, slavery, and segregation, and racism is still ignored, condoned, or even actively supported in many facets of American life.
1: In order to understand how racism operates, it's important to look beyond individual psychology to the systemic and cultural practices that continue to uphold racism. We can never ignore it because that doesn't make it go away. Rather, it perpetuates it effectively shutting down the possibility of moving forward by not having important conversations about the problems and possible solutions. There are many factors that contribute to racism, including categorizing and labeling, which starts from a young age, which is when people begin to strongly identify with racial in groups. Segregation is another problem in which when we're segregated from other racial groups, it greatly influences attitudes and feelings. One of the best players in sustaining racism is the media, which consistently portrays stereotypes and reinforces those representations on different levels for various racial groups.
0: You would think that in this day and age we would be getting more harmonious as a society and seeing less racism and discrimination, but that isn't exactly the case. The World Justice Project's data indicated that discrimination is widespread and it's actually getting worse. The World Justice Project draws its info from the surveys of more than 154,000 households worldwide, and over 3,600 experts and legal practitioners around the world evaluate the data. The countries with the worst discrimination as of March 2023 were Afghanistan, Sudan, and Nicaragua, and the two high-income countries with the worst discrimination were the United States and Hungary. The least discriminatory countries in the world, according to their data, were Finland, Estonia, and Singapore.
1: But are they very diverse? Like, I don't feel like they're very diverse, so I don't feel like racism is, like, a huge issue. It's not always easy to love the skin you've been given, but it's yours, and it's not going anywhere. There have been many times in my life when I wished I was either more black than I am or that my skin was darker so that I would be accepted in particular social circles. And there are times when I wish I was lighter or white because it would make my life so much easier. There have been so many scenarios or so many situations where I wish I wasn't me. But I made it through all those times and I'll continue to make it through tough situations with the skin that I have. As I've gotten older too, I've been more conscious of my skin color and that's not necessarily a bad thing. But it's good to know who I am and where I came from and what to look out for in terms of discrimination, because it's not always obvious. Sometimes it's so covert. That's something I want my son to be aware of as he gets older, how to know his differences, but how to accept his differences and to love his differences.
0: As hard as it is, we should all avoid comparing ourselves to others so that we can each work toward being our better selves. It's not easy, but focusing on your accomplishments rather than physical attributes can be helpful. We also need to reevaluate our ideas on beauty, which can be hard in the world where we currently live, which can be hard in the world we currently live in, in social media and the regular media. The media promotes a certain image of perfection, but we don't need to agree with it. We don't. Instead, focus on what you love about yourself and be positive and encouraging to yourself. Instead of putting yourself down because a pair of jeans don't fit or your hair is unruly or your skin tone is too pale or too dark, do your best to love yourself.
1: And with that bit of positivity, I think we'll wrap up this episode. We hope you found today's episode interesting and entertaining. And if you did and haven't before, we would love if you would follow or subscribe to the Mixed DNA podcast wherever you're listening from right now. We would also appreciate an Apple review or a Spotify rating if you could. Likes, follows, subscriptions, and reviews help to ensure we're reaching as wide an audience as we can. Also remember to follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and threads at MixedDNA Podcast. And visit our website, mixeddna.ca, where you'll find our research, our storefront, info about Vanessa and myself, and our Mixed Monday features. Thanks for listening, everyone, and you'll hear from us again next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.